0: I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 if you have them with you this morning. If not, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you that will have it in it. And I'll help you out just a little bit here in a moment if you'll turn to page 66 in the second section. First section's got a lot of pages in it, but it's the Old Testament. Second section. Page 66, Luke 19. And there are a couple of verses that I want to call to our attention this morning. As Jesus, on this particular day, is about to approach Jerusalem, and He gives instructions to His disciples. And He says, You will find a colt on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And then as we move toward the end of this processional, the crowd is beginning to get very loud and boisterous and they're crying out with with uh, great excitement. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the group realize that This one sitting on this colt was actually receiving worship. That they were recognizing him as God and praising and giving glory to him. And it disturbed them. At this time, there were still among the Pharisees, those who were intrigued by his ministry, who uh, were fascinated by his teaching. They hadn't entirely ruled him out at this point, and they were with the crowd. But all of a sudden, they got disturbed because it seemed as though the crowd was going into a frenzy and acclaiming Him as God. And they said to Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. As I was meditating on this passage coming into this Easter season, the question began to go through my mind, who is this Jesus? Not that I don't have an answer for it. I know who He is in the Scripture. I know who He is represented to be clearly and unmistakably the eternal Son of God incarnate in human flesh, I know the theological answer. But I began to think about these two facts. That Jesus was able to climb up on a colt on which no one had ever sat and ride Him triumphantly in procession into Jerusalem. I don't know a lot about horses and donkeys and mules and colts. I will admit that to you. Um, Horses, as much as I like to look at them, have always intimidated me a bit. I think it's because I had a friend in junior high that had a horse, and the horse didn't like me. And every time I tried to ride it, it tried its best to throw me off. And then we had an old horse at my uncle's ranch named Lightning. And Lightning was anything but Lightning. But when I was on Lightning, Lightning rushed headlong toward the nearest fence with the intention of coming to an abrupt halt just prior to the fence and hoping that I would land in the other pasture. So I admit that horses and I have not had a great relationship. But one thing I do know is that you have to break a colt before you can ride it. They don't just let you climb up and ride. And here is Jesus climbing up. Actually, his disciples hoisted him, I think, if you read the text, as they put their garments on the colt. On a colt that no one had ever even sat upon with total mastery. And I often have wondered what communion went on between Jesus and this animal. What connection was there? What communication did this colt recognize that the one who had made him was sitting on Him? Did He know that the Master of the Universe had just landed on His back? And was there some communion between them where Jesus, in full control, was able to sit on this unridden, unbroken, unsat-upon animal And ride him with majesty. This is an unusual person. It is the one whom the disciples had seen still the waves, stop the lightning, call the thunder to a halt on the sea. And bring tranquility to what was a raging storm. Merely by a simple command, peace, be still. And they marveled that even the winds and the waves obeyed him. And then we come to the end of this section as Jesus is moving into Jerusalem in this procession. We come to the end and and the Pharisees are saying, Master, Tell your disciples to stop worshiping you. (laughs) That's in essence what they were saying. This This is wrong. This is blasphemy. And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. If they be quiet, the stones will cry out. I'm not sure that that was a figure of speech. I'm wondering if on that momentous occasion, Jesus was literally saying, I will be worshipped. I will be praised. And if the people don't do it, the elements will. But I will be recognized for who I am. Because I am the eternal God, worthy of all adoration and all praise. And so, my mind began to contemplate. Who is this Jesus that is going into Jerusalem? Who is the one riding on this colt? Do they know with whom they are dealing? Do they understand who it is that they have watched for three years preach and teach and heal and even raise the dead? and perform unimaginable miracles, do they know that this is the one who called the universe into existence? That this is the one who created every living thing? That this is the one who made the rocks, and the mountains, and the rivers, and streams, and the forests, and the deserts? Do they know that this is the one who rules from his throne in the center of the universe, controlling everything, and that he has come to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And now he is going to Jerusalem in this triumphant procession for one reason. This is the last time That he will ride into this city (coughs) as a man upon this earth in this kind of fashion because it is this week that the events will begin to unfold and eventually culminate in his crucifixion. He is going to Jerusalem to die for us and this is an incredibly glorious moment. I want to read you a passage from the book of Revelation. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles if you wish. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and I'll give you the reference number again for that. In in Revelation, it's chapter 4, and it's on page 195 toward the end of the book. Page 195. Revelation chapter 4. The Scripture says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. This is John on the Isle of Patmos, and he has his eyes open to the spiritual realities that we normally cannot see. And he says, As I looked, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. "...immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting." clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, I want you to hold this imagery in your mind because I'm going to show you some pictures in a moment that will perhaps give us an opportunity to just begin to glimpse the glory of the heavenlies. And I want you to picture this throne somewhere there in the universe that John is now seeing with his own eyes in the Spirit. And and imagine the, the splendor and the majesty of this. From the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first was like a lion. The second was like a calf. The third had the face like that of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art Thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou didst create all things, and because of Thy will they existed, And were created. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And I, John, began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he came, this is Jesus Christ, the one on that colt. He came, and He took it out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken the book, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Notice they're giving the same worship and adoration. Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals, for thou wast slain. And didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Notice that in this glorious scene in heaven. All the living creatures of all the earth and all the things that are created are giving praise and honor and glory to Him, the Lamb, who is worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. This is the Lamb of God who was riding on that colt. And in this scene in the heavenlies before the throne, we see Him who has been exalted above all creation, who is infinite. And, and unimaginable in his glory. I wonder if we know who this Jesus is. I just want to take you this morning on a photo journey. I hope, assuming all the technology works. But before I do, I want to remind you of some things that you probably learned way back in the fourth grade. And probably a few more times since then. And if you don't remember them... Maybe you'll remember it today. Do you remember how far it is to the sun? Well, it's 93 million miles. Do you remember how fast light travels? It's about 186,000 miles in one second. Or about 671, what, billion miles an hour have to remember all these numbers right away. Suffice it to say that if for some reason the sun were to quit shining right now, it would take eight minutes before we would know it as that last photon left the surface, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. It would take eight minutes for it to arrive at Earth and for the light to go out. From these figures, we derive what we call the light year. Now, you've heard that term thrown around a lot, I'm sure, but I wonder if you've ever stopped to contemplate how long is a light year? How far is it? It's not a measure of time. It's a measure of distance. It's a measure of the amount of distance light can travel at 186,000 miles per second in one year. And that distance is about 6 trillion miles. Now think about 6 trillion miles and the fact that the distance to the sun is 93 million miles. That's billion, trillion. We're moving over quite a few decimal places. And think about the fact that the Earth is only about 26 or 28,000 miles in circumference at the equator. And how long it takes to fly from here to Los Angeles or here to Tampa or here to New York. And imagine flying from here to Australia. Some of you don't have to imagine that, you've done it. Imagine how long it would take to fly around the world at the equator. At about 26,000 miles to 93 million miles to 6 trillion miles. And then I want to show you some pictures. Could we have the lights out, by the way, up by there? so that This is not an Easter egg. This is a spirograph nebula within our own Milky Way galaxy. And the interesting thing about this planetary nebula with all of these hot gases expanding around it, these are from the Hubble telescope, by the way, is that that picture that you see on the screen is 30 billion miles in diameter. Now go back and think, 93 million miles to the sun, 100 million a 1,000 million, a billion, 30 billion miles in diameter. This image is an image called the Ant Nebula, also in the Milky Way galaxy. And this amazing image is 10 trillion miles in diameter. What you see on the screen, 10 trillion miles in diameter. Think about Jesus Christ calling it into existence. Speaking the name, I don't know if he called it the Ant Nebula, but saying, come into being, Ant Nebula. And something 10 trillion miles in diameter is suddenly flung out into space. This one doesn't even have a real name. But images like this kind of make me wonder what it would be like around the throne of God as he describes that incredible image of the color and the majesty and the glory And I can almost see coming out of that bright spot to the left that perhaps the throne of God is emanating from that place of very bright white light. That particular image on the screen is 630 trillion miles wide. Just another part of the galaxy. Just another part. There are other images, these particular ones, the color and glory of that, trillions of miles in diameter within our own galaxy. And this one particularly I like, it's called, I believe, the Horsehead Nebula in Orion. And this is another galaxy that can be seen from the Hubble telescope. A different galaxy. Get this one. 336,000 trillion miles across. Or, if you're into the trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, it's 336 quintillion miles wide. And just one more of tens of thousands of galaxies like it throughout space. And my friends, the scripture says that space is not infinite. Do you know why we know that? Because our infinite God made it and set the boundaries upon it. And although we cannot fathom its limitations, it is even more incomprehensible to imagine a God who has created all of this. And if I read my Bible correctly and understand rightly why He did it, it's so one day we could put a Hubble telescope in space and sit amazed at the images that come back and dazzled by the glory of a God that could make something like this. When I try to contemplate the vastness of space and try to get my head around these unimaginable numbers, I begin to think in terms of infinite and infinity. And then I begin to think of my God who has un limited power, who has infinite wisdom, who knows me inside and out. And I think of that man, Jesus, sitting on that colt who called all of these things into existence. And it was his infinite love that compelled him to ride that colt into the streets of Jerusalem for my redemption. Maybe we should come a little bit closer back to earth and look at some of the things that he's made on the earth. Wouldn't you like to see a sunrise like that? I've never seen a sunrise like that. I think you have to be in a spaceship to make that happen. But I've seen some... Similar to this. And I can't see mountains without thinking of the grandeur of God and the beauty of nature and the marvels of what he's made. Look at a scene like that that just takes your breath away. As you see the glassy smooth water and the snow covered mountains. And think again that this one riding on this cult is the one who shaped and formed those very mountains and carved out those very lakes. What a beautiful scene that is with the yellow, I believe it's goldenrod in the foreground. But God is not only the God of the immense and the huge, but he's also the God of the very small. And some of these images come from the Nikon photo contest, It's a Small World. don't know if you've ever looked those up, one line, but what you see here on the screen are protozoa with cilia. These are one-celled creatures, perhaps swimming in that lake that we saw in the other picture. If you could get a microscope and take a drop of water, you might see some of these one-celled creatures. Little, little, tiny things that you can only see with the aid of a microscope. These are magnified about 176 times under the microscope and are actually 1700 times and who knows uh, how much they actually are on the screen Can you imagine what this is What do you suppose These are the scales on the wings of a sunset moth. Taken at about 50 times their actual size, God crafted these just perfectly on the moth so that it can fly. And these little scales protect it in all kinds of weather, uh, keep its wings functional and operational, and if you could get a microscope and look at the wing of that moth, you would see this very image. In fact, I've seen images very much like this, from the wings of a butterfly. Jesus, who sat on that colt, shaped the scales and the wings of the moth in his creative power, and fully understood that. That's why I wonder what kind of communication might have gone on with him and that donkey. This may gross some of you out, but these are actually the neuron tracks in the nervous system of a mouse and its sense of hearing. The auditory pathways through the brain and those uh, fibrous purple lines that move through there are nerve paths that carry the sense of hearing from one place to another you imagine what it's like to delve into the microscopic level of all the creatures that God has created and know that he understands where every single fiber goes and what it does and put it all together by the word of his power? That's not a monster from the deep. That's a housefly a few times larger than you're normally used to seeing them. It'll make you slap them all that much sooner now, won't it? But those eyes are one of the things that makes it difficult to ever trap them. They see things from all directions, and all those little hairs pick up the slightest turbulence in the air. So you have to be really quick. God created all of those things and knew them perfectly. I love flowers. I can never get away from taking pictures of flowers. And when I begin to imagine the color and the beauty and the detail and the richness of the flower, I keep wanting to get closer and closer. I didn't take these next pictures, but I'm surely amazed. Did you know that that's the heart of a geranium? It's not a fountain in the middle of some city. It's the the stamen and the anther and the pestle of a geranium. And this is the anther. You know in a flower, the little thing that has the pollen on it, there's usually uh, several of them around the center portion, and that's the stuff that gets off at the right time of its bloom. It'll come off on you, the pollen that comes off. Well, these little red things inside of here is the pollen in the end of an anther of a flower that's taken with a microscope. Here's another one that thing, that little tiny thing that you see in a flower is filled with pockets of this little pollen. And the pollen comes off and goes into the stamen and the flower is able to form a seed and reproduce. Isn't that amazing that God has put this together and crafted it and the way that it works and functions is incredible beyond belief the gorgeous pastels of a flower that's turned its face toward the sun. I love backlit subjects because you can see the light coming through the leaves and the petals and they just stand out so lovely. And a lily that's floating on the water. Our Jesus, who was riding on that colt that morning, is the one who called all of this majesty and glory into existence. He made the rocks. Now, rocks are not animate, but I have a feeling that that's why he said, if these people keep silent, the rocks will cry out. Who is this Jesus? He is the one who called the world into existence. He is the one who shaped the universe He's the one who made single-celled animals. They didn't climb out of some primordial soup someday. If you really understand the mathematical probability of even a protein molecule assembling itself by accident, it takes far more faith to be an atheistic evolutionist than it does to be a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's far less likely that it would ever happen by chance, than that it happened by purposeful and intentional design. I can't even begin to go this morning into all of the reasons why evolution is virtually an impossible idea. But our God needs no defense. And that one that sat upon that colt that day riding into Jerusalem is the one who made it all. He was clothed in human flesh. He took on the shape and form of a man. He was made in the likeness, the Scripture says, of Adam. And He came to this earth as a man. Specifically, that He might go to the cross and die for us. But don't lose sight of who He is. Don't lose sight of His glory. Don't lose sight of His majesty. This is the one who left that glorious heavenly throne and came to this earth because He loves you, because He wants to redeem you, because He wants you to come home to Him, because He wants to have a relationship with you. I don't know if those images stir you the way they stir me, But I'll tell you the truth. When I go into my quiet moments with God and I meditate upon the One who called all of this into being, who holds it all together by the word of His power, who has all authority and who knows everything there is to know, He knows every cell of my body. He knows every chemical. He knows everything that's happening inside of me right now. He understands it all. And when I come to Him, and He calls me my beloved, and I am His friend, and He welcomes me into His presence, and I know that this God died for me on the cross... I am just struck in awe. I am utterly amazed that I could be close to a God who is this immense and this powerful. That I could call Him my Father and have a relationship with Him. This Jesus who rode the colt is the master of the universe. And he's your Savior and he's mine. Father, I pray this morning that we would see Jesus anew and afresh. Who is this Jesus? Who is this amazing one? Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the lover of my soul as well as the Creator of all things. And you know My name. Quintillions of miles cannot even begin to scratch the surface of the breadth of the universe. You know all the stars by name, but you know My name. You have loved Me with an everlasting love. You have seen me from the foundation of the world. You longed for the day that I would come back to You in repentance and faith. And I will be with You forever. I want to praise You, Lord Jesus. I want to give You glory this morning. I want to worship You and adore You. You are worthy of all praise. The rocks do it naturally. The mountains and the streams, the valleys and the rivers, they all do it naturally. But Lord, I want to give You praise and glory from my own lips. I don't want to leave it up to the rocks. I want to praise Your name. I want to worship You. I want to adore You. For You are worthy. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Amen.